morning. I'm Deb Stevenson. Today's first New Testament reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce nothing, things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Today's gospel reading is from the Good News According to Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. say if anybody remembers the life of Brian. Did he say blessed are the cheesemakers? I knew I had to 
say that at some point. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So today's scripture begins what's called the Sermon on the Mount, so named because Jesus takes his disciples up a mountain to teach, not for the views in the cold, crisp mountain air, but because Jesus is reenacting the Old Testament journey of Moses, Moses who traveled up a mountain, Mount Sinai, to be in the presence of God and to receive divine teaching, which in its short form is the Ten Commandments. Here Jesus, like Moses, is doling out divine teaching. But this time it comes straight from God on the lips of Jesus. God's word in the flesh. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is delivering the definitive teaching on the life that he calls us to, no matter who we may be. Now, like I said, today's scripture is the beginning of the sermon. The whole thing spans kind of three chapters that expand things even more, but it begins here with these nine blessings. Nine blessings, which are also called in Latin, Beatitudes. Hence, these are known as the Beatitudes. The great 5th century theologian Augustine of Hippo said that the Beatitudes represent kind of a compressed form of the whole of Christian teaching. You know, this is Christian teaching in a couple tweets rather than the full thing. The whole deal is contained in these nine blessings. These nine blessings sketch out the blessed life. The first four blessings are kind of weird, though, if you think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this sounds kind of weird because these aren't the kind of people who usually pop up, you know, when you're on Facebook and you click hashtag blessed, you know. Poor spirits, people who are crushed and demoralized by life. Poverty, lack of prospects, anxious, depressed, fearful of the future. Mourners, people who've experienced devastating loss, spouses, children, parents, livelihoods, you name it. Meek ones, the powerless, the uneducated, those who have been trampled, whose gentleness is a liability people hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the ones who face injustice and have had their rights trampled and long for wrongs to be righted. These are unlucky people, sure. <laughs> people deserving of sympathy, worthy of pity even, but they're not blessed, are they? If you're blessed, you have stuff. Hashtag blessed. Money, family, career, success, virtue, a turkey on Thanksgiving. These are all what we consider blessings. But these blessings Jesus drops are kind of the opposite of those. Poorness, loss, powerlessness, hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's weird because they're not clearly blessed. If anything, they lack the kind of blessings that we celebrate and take 
for granted. It's a weird place to start. It's a weird place to start. But you know, it kind of illustrates the weirdness of Jesus. The oddness of God and God's kingdom, God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. We tend to believe that blessing, happiness, that enoughness is the product of our virtues and achievements. If we have enough discipline, enough skill, follow the right directions, raise our kids right, then it's all ours for the taking. But the Christian message is different. It's not that these are bad things necessarily. But the blessings Jesus outlines are different. From the beginning of the Bible, it kind of works this way throughout the scriptures. In the beginning of the Bible, Abraham and Sarah are super old, can't have kids. God blesses them with children. Joseph is the runt younger brother who's sold into slavery by his older brothers, but ends up in government in Egypt and actually saves his people from starving. And David's a boy shepherd who sheds armor and defeats a giant, and of course, Jesus is the Messiah whose victory comes not with trumpets in a triumphant parade and social media campaign, but in crucifixion, in death on a cross. This is apparently blessing, God's blessing. The great reformer Martin Luther said it like this, God receives none but those who are forsaken, Restores health to none but those who are sick. Gives sight but none to, the, to none but the blind. And life to none but the dead. He does not give saintliness to any but sinners, nor wisdom to any but fools. In short, he has mercy on none but the wretched. And gives, great, gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. Which is to say simply that God blesses broken people. God blesses broken people. Blessing comes to us, God comes to us, not in our strength, but in our weakness. Where we're in pain, where we fall short. This can be a really hard pill to swallow in a meritocratic society. Because we spend so much time trying to demonstrate our worthiness to God, to ourselves, and others. Our jobs, our education, our reputation, money, fame, clicks, life, social recognition. I mean, we've even managed to turn our own victimhood into a kind of virtue that can give us power. But Jesus says that it's those who've reached the bottom, spiritually, emotionally, physically, too, who cannot live without God's supernatural help and miraculous intervention for all such persons, for all those who the world calls failures, God is especially there. God blesses broken people. The Apostle Paul says that this is a stumbling block for righteous people who are looking for great signs of power and secular people who are looking for pure reason alike. But God is cross-shaped. God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. God's office is at the end of your rope, as the old saying goes. So has life trampled you down? Are you materially poor, spiritually bereft, morally 
estranged, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. It's yours. Is your life one loss after another, after another, after another, a long road of pain? Jesus said healing is on the horizon. Consolation is yours. Do you feel pushed around and powerless, blown around by the winds of history with nothing to hold on to? Jesus says the whole of God's green earth is coming your way. Do you hunger and thirst for life where the scales of justice are balanced, where evildoers are held to account and those who've been wronged receive recompense? where you can be just and merciful instead of cold and indifferent. Jesus says, get ready to be satisfied because you're going to get all you can eat and more. And if you resonate with none of the above, hey, that's a weakness too. And God can work with that as well. Sing. Joy. Healing, satisfaction, God blesses broken people. Like Leonard Cohen says, I'm quoting Leonard for the second week in a row here. Like Leonard Cohen says, forget your perfect offering, there's a crack in everything. And that's how the light gets in. God blesses broken people. God blesses broken people. Now, of course, there's more. There's more. The next three Beatitudes kind of chart out the kind of life that is possible with God's grace at work in us. Blessed are the merciful, it says, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In the first four Beatitudes, we heard that God blesses broken people. And in the next three we, three, we find out that blessed people bless broken people and are, in turn, further blessed by that experience. In terms of being merciful, our default mode is to be judgy, to hold sins against others, to withhold from the undeserving, even when, especially when they deserve but in the way that God shows us mercy by forgiving our transgressions, by not counting our trespasses against us, we can't help but become more merciful. We see that every other human being is in the same boat and that Christ died for all. Christ died for all and all means all. Jesus came feeding, healing, forgiving, and raising the dead, even the undeserving, especially the undeserving. Otherwise, we wouldn't call it grace. Mercy begats mercy, kindness, generosity, and compassion. Punishment is no longer something that we seek for others, but the same kind of release we ourselves have been given. We no longer have to be consumed with vengeance. Instead, we can forgive. You can forgive because you have been forgiven. God blesses mercy with more mercy. In terms of having purity of heart, our default mode is to have impure hearts. And now people hear that and they're like, oh, that has something to do with sex, I think. <laughs> the word purity has a lot of baggage, mostly to do with sex. Purity culture, not good. Sex is part of it, certainly. But only in relation to the whole 
of life. In the Bible, the heart is our decision-making center. The whole idea is that our hearts are busted. They're broken. They can't live up to their original purpose. Our hearts are tainted with selfishness and self-interest. We have a lot of trouble just knowing the good and doing it. We fall short. But because we know we are flawed, fallen, finite creatures, it means that we can stop pretending that we aren't. Again, Martin Luther, what is meant by a pure heart is this, a heart that is watching and pondering what God says and replacing our own ideas with the word of God. Instead of certainty in our own righteousness, God blesses us with what the other great reformer, John Calvin, called a teachable spirit. Purity of heart begins with the knowledge of just how impure our hearts actually are. Seeing how far we are from being like Jesus paradoxically makes us more like Jesus. Hard to be humble, as they say. And more able to take our directions from him rather than all the other false gods constantly demanding our attention. God blesses us with purity of heart. God works on that decision-making center in us. And in terms of being the peacemakers, the hippies' favorite of the Beatitudes, our default mode is the opposite. Jealousy, anger, hatred, resentment, punishment, tribalism. Jealousy. Oh, I said jealousy already. Double jealousy. Whether we're talking about war, whether we're talking about intergenerational trauma or family systems, politics, or interpersonal relations, we are not peaceful. Peace is not our default mode. And because of that, Jesus blesses us with peace. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That is the good news. And because God offered himself up to end the war between God and humanity, the war between human beings, we're able to do the same. In Christ, the war is over between Jew and Gentile, between rich and poor, between men and women, between nations, races, colors, kinds, or creeds, and even people having church fights. The war is over. From the family unit to the international stage, we no longer need to feed in to the endless cycle of antagonism and power play and propaganda. We can put down our swords and pick up our plowshares and come to know the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace, the true peace that comes with being a child of the living God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Mercy, purity of heart, peacemaking. These three beatitudes sketch out the Christian life. Jesus says once we come to know God's blessing, a new mode of living and being is possible. Blessed, blessed people bless broken people and find themselves blessed yet again in return. Blessed people bless broken people. Finally, you'll notice a couple more blessings at the end. I really wish that I could just preach a sermon on every beatitude, but this is the, like Augustine said, it's the condensed version. This is my condensed version of the condensed version. 
these last couple blessings are just as crucial as the rest because they point to God's good future. They point to God's good future. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and blessed are those who are reviled, persecuted, and defamed for the sake of Jesus. Again, weird blessings. But the last couple acknowledge that blessing broken people in Jesus' way ain't a cakewalk. It's not an easy path to trod. Because the world's default mode is what it is, mercy, purity, and in heart, peaceableness, they aren't bound to be popular. They aren't bound to be popular. Putting Jesus at the center of everything we do and believe, also not bound to be popular. In fact, in our time and place, the latter can be a real liability. Every time somebody asks me what I do for a living, almost every time, nine out of ten, their face falls and they say, oh, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe it's just my other character defects, but I think it has something to do with Christianity. I'm going to throw Christianity at them. Which isn't to say we should go out looking for trouble or embrace a Christian victim persecution complex, but it's to say that love of enemies, advocacy for the least, last in the lost, love for the undeserving, grace for the wicked, all in the even grace for political enemies, ugh, all in the name of Jesus Christ. These things may not make us friends. It, in fact, may make us enemies. It may, in fact, bring us considerable heartache and struggle at certain times in our lives, and it's always been that way from the beginning. Jesus says, just look at the prophets and how they were received. Christian life isn't easy. It's not easy, but we can take heart. We can take heart. We can have courage. We can be joyful. We can be joyful even when all seems lost. We are blessed, Jesus says, even in times of trial, stress, and helplessness because we have hope, a living hope. Because in the end, our reward is great. Jesus promises us the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom on earth as above. He promises that one day, heaven and earth are going to merge. It's all going to come together. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors are going to bleed into one. And God will be all in all. Blessed people bless broken people because they know that in the end, by God's grace, it's all going to work out right. That every tear, every loss, every bruise, every broken heart, every lost piece of the puzzle is going to be put back in place and it's all going to be worth it in the end. With God, all things work for good in the end. Blessed people bless people because they know that the blessing never ends. As I said, dear friends, the Beatitudes are the great summary of the gospel. The Christian life begins and ends with blessing that God blesses the broken, that the blessed bless the broken and are blessed some more, and that each blessing is a promise, a foretaste 
of a future without end. May these blessings be yours. Blessed are you. Holy are you. Rejoice and be glad because yours is the kingdom of God. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen. Please rise. Sing with us. Christ, your summons, if no true, but you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. If your company, I'll go where your love and footsteps go. Though I'll move and live and know in you and you 